Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. We've got a couple of great guests coming up today. The co-founder of the Lady Business Summit, Vivian McCormick, she visits our show to delve into BC's entrepreneurial landscape and efforts to, say, raise capital, as well as her own personal experiences launching a business. And then after that, we're going to speak to one of our regulars, Dan Sutton. He is the CEO of Tantalus Labs. We're talking about the cannabis industry, more specifically the rise of these micro cultivators and what that means for the impact on the industry as a whole. Stay with us. We're going to kick it off first with Vivian McCormick. Next month, the first ever Lady Business Summit hits Vancouver, and with us today to dive into the efforts to imbue more knowledge into the entrepreneurial landscape here in BC, it's Vivian McCormick. She's co-founder of Lady Business Summit. Vivian, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what's the goal exactly of this summit that you guys are putting on? Is that the permanent September 23rd? Am I correct on that? September 20th, Friday. September 20th. Thank you. Yeah. So the goal of the Lady Business Summit, you know, it really started actually as a social kind of networking event that um, my co-founders at Flax Sleep and I started. Uh, We brought together a group of women who really were instrumental in helping us when we started our business. You know, our backgrounds are varied. We came with different um, experience and knowledge, but there was so much we knew we didn't know right off the bat. And we were really lucky to have a great group of women just be so generous with their time and their expertise. And uh, so we just sort of brought everyone together one night for a social dinner to kind of say thank you for all the help. And that grew into, you know, every six weeks or so we were doing a dinner and it just kept growing and growing. And uh, the more we brought people together, the more we realized that people started asking also for, you know, tips on how to do certain things. As soon as they met one of our freelance, you know, digital marketing people, one of our, you know, brand designers, they just wanted, they had a thirst for knowledge and things that they didn't know as well. And so, you know, like any business that's born out of a need of something, we started to see that maybe there was this educational component that might be needed. Um, And, you know, there's an unbelievable amount of uh, programming out there for female entrepreneurs in Vancouver. We're really fortunate. Um, Flax Sleep has been part of some really great programs as well. But, um, We thought, you know, there's room for everybody and we can definitely do something that maybe speaks a little bit more to some tactical tools that you could leave with. Our goal is to have someone leave that day with a list of things that they can do for their business right off the bat. So is it like maybe digging into kind of just basic strategic advice or is it digging into maybe, hey, here are the resources available to you being based here in British Columbia? Or is it like a mix of both? It's definitely going to be a mix of both. I think the day itself will be really, you know, learning from the people who could teach you um, how to better tell your brand story, how to all the way through to, you know, why you need business insurance, because that is something that as we talk to more and more entrepreneurs, I talk to them all the time. Some people have a grasp of it. Some people don't. It just depends on the background that you've come from. Um, so, you know, I come from a legal background. Insurance obviously is something that I would always think that we we need as a business, but not everybody realizes that. 
Um, we are, we're going to have a panel of lenders come and talk to people about how to get capital for their business because it's always, um, not a, I mean, it's an issue, but it's always a thing that might be a little bit elusive to people as far as, you know, can I actually borrow money for a business? Do I need to use all my own money? You know, we, I personally tell people like you really shouldn't use all your own money, right? If you have a good business idea, somebody's going to lend you money to do it. And there's some fantastic you know, female-specific um, capital sources here in the city. So we just really want to highlight some things like that so that people leave and say, you know what, I realize that I have an idea. I didn't know where to start. I think I've got five steps that I can do now. And I'm motivated to take those and see what happens. I was reading a report earlier this year. I, I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, maybe we can do that in the show notes, though. But uh, they're showing quite the gap between maybe access to capital that maybe male entrepreneurs have, male founders versus women founders have. Where are we at with, with regards to maybe closing that gap? Are there resources that are becoming more apparent at this point? I, I mean, I understand there's still a long way to go, but how do you think the direction is going forward at this point? Yeah, you know, completely anecdotally, I think there can be a bit of a difference in how males and female entrepreneurs seek capital. Um you know, as far as investment goes, uh, getting money from early stage investors, you know, I've watched a lot of pitches uh, in the course of kind of foraying into this entrepreneur world. And, you know, yeah, some of the guys get up there and they're, they've got an idea and they just are convinced they're going to get capital. And that helps, right? That confidence helps. I think sometimes on the, on the you know, a really general sense, sometimes you'll see female entrepreneurs get up and really paint a realistic picture of what they want to do. But sometimes that realistic picture doesn't sell it to somebody who is expecting a pretty healthy return. Um, so investment is one piece. I think I always tell people it's really in, important to think about the the whole puzzle of capital. So debt is an option, grants are an option, you know, bootstrapping, friends and family. There's so many ways to do it. So as far as access goes, you know, I think it it can be quite individual how you seek it out, who your network is when you decide to go and do it, and the story you tell, uh, you know, the industry that you're trying to um, get into. So I I think we're getting there in the sense that this has never been a better time um, to have women learn about getting access to capital. There are training programs for female investors. There are training programs for female entrepreneurs seeking capital. Um, it's all out there and and everyone is doing their part, which is so exciting. Um, I think we'll, I think it's just going to continue to progress. Um, and I think it could, you could also see as more and more female entrepreneurs come into the landscape the ecosystem will build itself. The ecosystem will continue to um, to progress and change. And, you know, hopefully we, we have a point where we're not talking about um, that gap. But, yeah, it, it can happen for sure. Well, tell me a little bit about your journey and your co-founder's journey here with, say, Flax Sleep. I mean, is there stuff where if you could grab yourself from a couple years back and just, like, tell you what to do, is there anything that jumps off the top of your head right now? Or is there just kind of... It was all worth it just from like gaining that knowledge and experience at that point. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you, and this is another reason why we started the Lady Business Summit, is I can't tell you how many times a day we're Googling, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? And part of it was just finding the right resources um, and understanding, you know, sifting out the good information from the bad. And um, for us, you know, I look back a couple years and I think we were a bit 
you know, we're cautious. We're that's just sort of our background, right? Again, like coming from a legal area, you know, we we just we knew some things that were really actually quite helpful in helping get a, our business off the ground, but there were definitely things that we were completely in the dark about and um you know, like you don't know what you don't know. You don't, yeah. And so we just, what I think has been really important for us is don't waste time not asking the question because you think it's going to look, you know, that you look like you're, you're, you don't know what you're doing. Because frankly, I think most people are sure. a little bit in the dark about something. <laughs> um, you don't know what you don't know. It's actually something I knew from my days of like practicing law. You don't know what you don't know, but you need to know enough to figure out when to ask the question and ask the right expert. And um, that's something that we really come a long way in figuring out. And we now, with Flax Sleep, we have a wonderful group of um, support around us that help us with the things that we're not as well versed in. Because it doesn't make sense for us to learn everything and become experts in everything. That's not the goal of entrepreneurship necessarily, right? People start businesses because of a need for something or a love for something. I don't think anyone really starts a business thinking, I would like to be the CEO and CFO and CMO right. of, a, of a giant, you know, business. That they sounds start, like a nightmare as well. Yeah, it, yeah, totally. And you just can't, there's not enough hours in the day, right? Even if, um, even if there are three of us that, that we just have things that we cannot necessarily um, get to that level of expertise that we need to, and we don't need to. Um, it's really just recognizing when to bring in the right people. It's knowing enough. I always, I always think it's important to try something yourself once, right? Classic example, buying a Facebook ad. It's not easy, at least not, <laughs> it wasn't for me, right? And you're trying to navigate how that works. You're trying to not waste your money. But once you do it once, then you know the questions to ask of somebody who is actually an expert in doing it. And that's where we are. Um, and I think that's really important is to try it understand what you don't know, what you were good at, and then find somebody who can really fill those gaps and those strengths. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you is, you know, I think a really important thing in, in all, as, all, all parts of life, not just entrepreneurship, but definitely helpful with entrepreneurship. Well, let's talk it about maybe entrepreneurship on a, on a broader sense here in British Columbia as well, because cause in addition to all this, you also work at Vancouver-based Spring Activator, and uh, you get to work, you know, side by side with a lot of these up-and-comers here. Yeah. What is the landscape right now in British Columbia like, you know, in, in terms of being able to cultivate successful businesses? Do we have kind of the, the right business atmosphere? Do we have a lot of the resources that are necessary? Or is there some stuff that we could work on right now? I think we do have most of the pieces in place. Um, sometimes it's more just a, a, an access to it or an understanding of what is out there because the landscape is so great. And so at different stages of your business, you have to understand where to bring in different things. So we have, there is capital available. There's so much training available. Um, the government grants are, you know, plentiful if you know where to look and if you've created a business and organized your business in a way that's conducive to receiving those. Um, do I think there's a gap anywhere? I mean, we can, I think we can really always have more early stage investors. And on that front, I think we can have investors who are prepared to invest in companies that are not necessarily, you know, the 10x tech companies. Uh, we have a lot of people in Vancouver who have invested in real estate. And so the growth that you see there in your investment is, you know, you, you can't replicate that in very many other ways. So I think there is definitely a 
group of investors that are going to start um, coming out of the woodwork that understand sometimes there's there's a better or there's a a more impactful way to invest in a business that doesn't necessarily fit that general tech mold um, that can have all kinds of impact in our city, around the world, um, and just understanding what that return looks like. Investors, once they get a bit of that training, can see that there's a bigger reason for putting their dollars somewhere. Um, you know, I'm talking about people who probably have a decent amount of uh, their capital kind of, you know, saved up somewhere and it's it's safe and they're ready to venture out somewhere. I was feeling a little bit like that as well. Like I wanted to understand what was happening more in the city. Um, I've done some training as an early stage investor as well. And it's fascinating to be able to look at these companies directly and evaluate what they're doing and understand, you know, where their strengths are. What does their team look like? Um, so I think we can just keep doing that. I'd love to see more people wanting to put some capital uh, into early stage business. How good are we at, at maybe selling our businesses to investors right now? Are, are we becoming better at it maybe as we kind of glean from the experts? Maybe Lady Business Summit is an opportunity to do that. Where, where do we stand here in British Columbia? You know, there's a lot of, <clears throat> again, education um, and opportunity to pitch your business uh, to investors, to a room full of people. Um, people are people are pretty good at it, and there's always ways to improve. I think sometimes it takes a little bit of, it's a bit of a hierarchy of needs. Like you have to kind of get some of the other stuff down first before you're ready to really sell and pitch your business. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that that confidence level that it takes to get up and tell somebody that, they should give you their money. <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, if a, some people just have that ability though. Oh, I, yeah, I wish I had that <laughs> ability, but, um, I think sometimes it takes a bit of that confidence in the business itself. And we really hope that parts of the lady business summit will do that for people. You know, maybe you go out and get your first round of debt financing, um, and you build your business in a nice, like steady way and strong growth. And you keep relying on debt for a little while. And eventually, an investor wants to put that money in there because they've seen you make progress utilizing another source of capital, right? A lot of times investors are not necessarily going to come in at that really early stage when you haven't proven anything. But if you've shown that you've gone out and been able to have a lender give you some money to build your business, uh, that can really, that can go a longer way, I think, in in the business speaking for itself. You not necessarily having to just sell the dream. It's it, It's that you've built a really strong business. Well, if anybody wants to find out more information about Lady Business Summit, maybe where's the best spot for them to go? So our website has our full agenda, all of our speakers who are going to be there, and it's a fantastic roster, um, and that is ladybusinessyvr.com. We're on Instagram and all the social handles as well, but if you want the info on the day and also to register, so registration's open, um, that's all on our website. And once again, that's September 20th, the Friday. That's right. Perfect. Thank you, Vivian, so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, And that was Vivian McCormick. She's the co-founder of the Lady Business Summit. Stay with us. Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs joins us right after this. So micro-cultivation, these small-scale growing operations, are beginning to launch here in Canada. So these are growers who are typically capped at producing about 600 kilograms annually of cannabis. And we have just three cultivators so far in the entire country, but 192 applications are in the queue. 
15 of which are in the final phase of this process. Joining us today to discuss the implications for the cannabis industry, it's Dan Sutton. He's CEO of Tanless Labs. Dan, thanks for joining us on the show. Glad to be here. So these cultivators here, these micro cultivators, how do you see maybe the rise of some of these smaller scale operations, you know, having an impact on this industry because by their nature, they are small in scale? Yeah, it's, it's going to be really exciting because I think microcultivators generally tend to focus on products that are harder to cultivate at a massive scale. We're going to see a really diversified slate of genetics. We're going to see a diversified slate of interesting brand stories. And these are your mom and pop's operations. It's the lowest barrier to entry for uh, new production systems in uh, the, the Canadian cannabis industry. And so I'm really excited. And I'm also a bit surprised by how few there are actually in the pipeline with 197 or so uh, at some stage of application. You know, that's relative to our arguably 30 to 40,000 illegal grow ops that exist in British Columbia alone. So what we're seeing is a, a huge swath of cultivators that were growing in the illicit market, growing historically that do not want to switch over to the legal production system. And I think that's overall uh, a negative for the industry. Well, one of the things I'm curious about, though, I, I know in the past uh, you've described Tantalus as maybe like craft cannabis versus kind of the big Budweiser stuff that's coming out there. Do you see any potential competition with regards to these other people that are branding themselves as, say, craft cultivators to a certain degree? Talent Labs is very much a small batch cultivator. However, we've built our processes and systems to be able to scale over time so that we can reach a, a higher upper level production capacity and ultimately get that product into people's hands across the country. We really want to touch a wide audience and make sure that we're representing BC Bud in Alberta and Saskatchewan, eventually in Ontario and the Maritimes. So uh, I've, I've never been too afraid of competition in this business. I think the more that we have producers that are catering to a discerning user base, certainly with the scale of a micro cultivator, they really will need to be targeting price points in that you know premium an ultra premium category in order to make those businesses economically viable. And the more people that are talking about that, the better that it is for all of us. We have some of the best cannabis in the world here in British Columbia. And I think it's hypercritical that that cannabis is, is shared uh, with audiences in this province and beyond. How easy, and I'm totally ignorant about this, but how easy is maybe distribution going to be uh, with some of these micro cultivators? Like I, if somebody is interested in what somebody's growing, I mean, there's different jurisdictions, different provinces. I know that there's the e-commerce option, but it seems kind of like a complex endeavor right now. Yeah. So I think that is where some of the difficulties come into play. And absolutely micro cultivators, if they just want to be growers, they're going to have to team up with a, distribu a distribution partner that's likely going to be a licensed producer and really make sure that the brand of that licensed producer, the marketing strategy of that licensed producer aligns with that micro philosophy. Uh, I think also it's, it's sort of undersold how complex the relationships between your distribution body in the form of a, of a provincial liquor distribution board, BCLDB here in, in British Columbia and AGLC, and then how that information flows through to the end retailer. And so this is why I think, and we've, we've always known this in British Columbia, that the micro cultivator really needs to be able to take advantage of Farmgate. If you had the ability to sell product from your own facility to a localized community, that's going to make your life a lot easier relative to having to go to this monolithic, monopolistic distribution board and assume that they are going to help you market your product. But how well is BC set up to maybe offer that for microcultivators here? 
we're not set up for it at all today. Yeah. And actually there was an original comment from the BC government that, uh, oh, they couldn't do it because of the federal guidelines. Well, the federal guidelines have facilitated farm gate sales and it's actually the province that's dropped the ball on this. Mike Farmworth was on the record a couple of weeks ago saying that they're still looking at it. It maybe is unlikely to come in this administration, but this is hypercritical for the survival of small businesses who can then generate local appeal, hyper-localized excitement, and ultimately probably create tourist traction for their communities as well. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of tourists that are visiting British Columbia that would love to learn more about our localized cannabis industry now that it's legal. And if we had the, the ability to facilitate those tourists and not just things like tourism excitement, but actual sales at the end of those tours, it's, it's going to be great for the entire community where that microcultivator is located. Do you ever see a situation where Tantalus could partner up with any of these microcultivators and, and you guys would be able to help them out with some of the logistics that maybe they're not well suited for? Absolutely. So Tantalus Labs is, is actively assessing partnerships with small cultivation operations. In our context, it is essential that those cultivators are sun growers. They need to be growing outdoors or in greenhouses. So we've got a slate of 10 or so outdoor farms that we really like. We're, we're actively giving them advice, simply advice right now on how to get through their uh, licensing processes. And when they start to get licensed, that's when you'll see more formal relationships start to form. Um, but microcultivators are generally indoor growers. And for us in particular, that's just a bit outside of our thesis. However, I think you'll see a lot of LPs that are really excited in adding especially high quality premium microcultivators to their product SKUs and to their brand houses, quote unquote. Uh, and and some of those deals will be a little bit funny. Some of those deals will favor the microproducers and it'll just be uh, really essential that microproducers are highly selective in, in what licensed producers they choose. So I'm also curious about maybe getting these businesses off the ground in terms of financing. Do you foresee, you know, big investors coming on board with this or is it mostly people that are going to be going to their banks and, and taking out loans, for example? So first and foremost, number one rule that Tantalus Labs and myself would would encourage everyone to live by is lean startup mentality. It's worked for us. You absolutely need to do whatever you can do on a bootstrap, everything done through friends and family financing. You know, some of these micro growers do have revenues that they've made from the illicit market. I hope they were saving some of those dollars sure. so that they could put them back into their own infrastructure um, because banks are still not actively lending, especially to startups in the cannabis space. Tantalus Labs doesn't have a, a debt relationship with a large charter bank yet. And I mean, we've been in revenue now for 11 months. So it's, it's, it's definitely a, a tricky business to try to get banks heads around the, the risk of this nascent industry. Um, and so I think you'll see more and more traditional financing mechanisms come online, but banks are probably even more conservative than the federal government at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just going to play out over the next few years. Um, and look, we're talking about, say, small-scale cultivation. Uh, th this is tangentially connected to business, but but I'm still very curious about your take on this. Uh, one of the stories that was big last week, though, Dan, was that story about that off-duty Revelstoke RCMP member who was on a private garden tour and he spotted uh, home growing uh, and the people were perfectly in the clear to do the home growing. But his argument was it was publicly visible to him on this garden tour. What is your take on the RCMP, you know, kind of clamping down on a situation like this? Yeah, this one was frustrating to me because you know, the, the people that were 
cultivating these plants and, and, and hosting this garden tour, they were actually doing a lot to humanize the cultivation of cannabis. They have this beautiful garden. They're clearly like agriculturally focused. They're probably into a bunch of interesting natural growing techniques. And then cannabis was just another plant in their, in their garden. And that's really, you know, from my perspective, where I hope we can get to, at least in terms of the cultivation of cannabis, is that this is just another plant. And people who love gardening, people who love farming, they probably love the botany of the cannabis plant as well. And I, I think this guy laced his boots up too tight in the morning. He was acting uh, like a Boy Scout. By my read of the situation, these growers were fully in, in compliance with the Cannabis Act. It was not actually publicly visible. It was only visible on a garden tour where they were in, you know, the inviting people into their garden. And uh, so we've seen it in the press cycle that this guy got roasted. Everybody said, you know, this he was acting way beyond his purview. It's completely inappropriate to be pulling this stuff out. The, the, they act, he actually went back, got a warrant and got a, a response team to come and like not kick down these people's door, but act quite forcefully in the removal of these plants. That must have been hugely scarring. And in the context of legal cannabis cultivation, which is fully compliant and fully allowed in the, in the government of Canada, we, we're we're going to see this used as a negative story and a negative example as to what overreaching and overpolicing really looks like. You're uh, suspecting that maybe the crown isn't going to be going forward for maybe these types of you know uh, alleged uh, incidents moving forward at this point. I, I think this is a great example of of one individual pushing too far, nobody checking him. Now, what will happen is if there's another RCMP officer who wants to you know, debate the merits of publicly versus non-publicly visible cannabis plants, uh, he's going to have a few individuals in his department that say, well, we might want to avoid the negative news stories on this. So really unfortunate. My heart goes out to those growers and gardeners that were clearly just following their passion and, and doing what they enjoy and clearly, clearly not caught any social harm. Okay. Well, Dan, thanks as always for joining us. Thanks so much. That's Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. And that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. It's going to help us reach more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.